in and um, really just overwhelmed by just what God has, just in praying for you and praying in terms of what God's heart is. I'm just so overwhelmed because He's got so much for you. And I actually want to encourage you with that. He's got so much for you. Um, you just need to position yourself. This morning in the morning service, um, there was a word about rain um, and people standing with umbrellas. But, but in, in order to experience the rain in a good sense, you need to go and stand out in the rain. If you're positioned under the roof, you're not going to feel it. You're not going to experience it. And I, I want to encourage you that there's so much that God has, but you need to go and stand in the rain, right, to receive um, what he has for you. Um, and so I'm going to be talking about calling. I'm going to be talking about um, the call that God has for you. And so um, I got saved about 15 years ago. And I, and I remember the, the, the one thing that, that really struck me about um, God was the fact that he's powerful. Uh, my whole life I was in, you know, in and around church and church activities. And I, I had a really negative connotation to Christians because I felt that it, they misrepresented God because they would say one thing and do another thing, act something else, you know. They'd say one thing and then the weekend is a different person than what you see, you know, um, the, the witnesses. So I didn't want to have much to do with Jesus until Jesus came and he really flipped my life around. And then I, the first thing that I ca became aware of was the fact that God is powerful. And um, so um, I would find myself doing things, the scary things that Matthew was mentioning about reaching out to others and evangelism. I would put myself in situations. I was like really fearful, but I just, I just knew I had to be there. It's like, again, that positioning thing. And, um, you know, God would come through for me. I, w I was really afraid of speaking in front of people. And so, I, uh, you know, but I felt, you know, this, com this, this call, this something that compels me. You see, the love of Christ compels us to do things that we wouldn't naturally want to do. Um, and so I, I felt this call. And I remember one of my first experiences in walking with God was that God would use me. Isn't that amazing? I, I, it, it still affects me today to think that this God of the universe, he's powerful, he's amazing. He can do absolutely anything that he wants to, but he chooses to use me. I remember that, that like completely bowled me over. I was like, you know, I would go on a mission and then God would do something and people would get saved. You know, I was like terrible. You know, everything, I did everything wrong, you know, nothing according to the book, but yet Jesus was faithful to his word. I remember once um, on an outreach, um, I was, I was um, I'd never, you know, ministered or shared or preached anything like that before. And the morning... God gave me a scripture and I knew something's coming, right? I'm going to be, I'm going to be out of my comfort, comfort. And, and we went to this place, lots of people, it was this service we had, um, it wasn't a church service, it was like an outreach service, um, and our leader of our team came to me a minute before the event started and he said, Reina, I want you to preach the word here, right now, in a minute's time. And um, I was about to say, no, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm not ready. And then I remembered the scripture that I got the morning. And so I shared this story many times. But I, I stood up there, and the, the scripture was Isaiah chapter 53. And I, and I read the scripture, and then I started sharing. But the sharing was terrible. You know, it's one of those moments that you want to just go hide in your shell, right? It was one of those. I was standing there, 
And I remember my missions leader, he was standing there at the back. He had just asked me a minute before. And so um, he, was, he, was, he was standing like this. <laughs> and I realized it's bad, right? And, and the more you, I look at him, the, the worse it gets. And he's standing like this. He says afterwards he was praying. But I know he wasn't praying. He was just like, oh, my goodness, what, did I, what have I done asking this guy to share? Um, and it was just one of those really special moments because the scripture I had was Isaiah 53. Um, the, the Lord that comes and, you know, he heals us, prophetically speaking about Jesus, the Messiah, um, you know, taking our sicknesses upon him and, you know, healing us and, and, and forgiving us. And I read the scripture and then after the terrible sharing, I said, is there anyone that wants to give their life to Jesus? And half of the people responded. I was like, wow, that's amazing. God confirms his word, even if I completely mess it up, right? Then you, then you know what Paul says. It's not by eloquence of speech, but by the power of God's word, his, his power. And so I was amazed. How could God use me? And um, afterwards, uh, we prayed for people and they responded. And then I felt the next part of the verse, as I said, Jesus took our sicknesses upon him. So... As I said, is there anyone that needs healing? Extended the invitation. Lots of people said that they needed healing. So I specifically went to a lady that had a, a deformed ankle. She was deformed, her ankle was deformed from, from birth. Put my hand on her ankle, started praying. And as I prayed, I felt like electricity go through my hands. And um, I said to her, is, is something changed? She said, no, nothing's changed. But I said to her, but I really felt something. I really felt like electricity go through my hands and she said no but she doesn't feel better but I said okay well let's let's just trust God and so we continued with the outreach and um, we started packing up the speakers and as I took one of the speakers in the corner of my eye I saw her leaving the place and, and I felt the Holy Spirit said go now again and so I ran after I said can I pray for you again because I really felt God wanted to do something and he did something so I put my hand on her ankle and I felt literally as I prayed I felt the bones moving under my hand as God literally performed a miracle, I looked up at her face and I will never forget her face. She was like, she really had a God encounter and her ankle was perfectly healed. And she knew that Jesus knows her. Jesus loves her and he loves her so much. And, and so, you know, just those moments changed me, you know, that God would come to use me. And I, I want to encourage you with that. God wants to use every person. If God could have used me, he can use anyone. Right, because I messed up, I did things wrong, I was fearful, I did all the wrong things in the wrong book, right? But Jesus changed me and he made me new. And so <coughs> excuse me. I wanna I wanna talk about that call. Because Jesus calls you and many times a lot of, a long time in my life I believed that, you know, and, and often people would ask me, How did you come into full time ministry? And then I would say to them, well, there were a couple of moments, but no real specific moment. And eventually I realized, but actually the call to full-time ministry happened when Jesus saved me. Because he doesn't just call you to salvation, he calls you for a purpose. And it goes together. It's not like he calls you and then he's like some, at some point he says, well, let's add something to you that's going to be good. You know, let's enhance your life. That calling happens that moment. So, you know, my calling happened 15 years ago when I got saved, right? Because Jesus calls you to save you eternally so you would know him, not just in eternity, but every day of every 
moment of your life, but he calls you for purpose, to, to be his hands and feet in this world, to be the light um, in, this, in this world. And so there's a journey for us to discover what God has called us to be. And I, I, wa- I was reminded, I was actually not going to share this, but, but it's so, I believe what God wants to do tonight is a scripture in Numbers chapter 11, when Moses comes and he stands before the people, there's the elders in the tabernacle, and he, he actually calls all the elders in. And, and in, in a moment, the, the, the Holy Spirit came, it says, in a cloud, right, over the elders, and they started prophesying. The scripture very intentionally says that they prophesied and never again, because it was like very exceptional in the Old Testament that people would prophesy. But even more than that, it was very exceptional that there was a group of people that would prophesy. And so they, they prophesied, right? And it was, it was amazing. Something happened. But something very interesting happens. Then it says that two of the elders that didn't pitch up at the meeting, they were in the camp and they started prophesying. So one of the servants came running to Moses and said to Moses, you must forbid them from prophesying. And Moses says, why would I do that? I wish that all the Lord's people would prophesy. You see a glimpse of the heart of God. And, and so that was Old Testament. That was that time. Now we're in New Testament times. We see the same message repeated by the Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians chapter 14. He says, I pray in tongues more than all of you, but I wish that you would prophesy. I wish that all the Lord's people would prophesy. And so I believe there's a shift that's going to happen tonight. There's eight people, individuals that God had said to me, he's calling you right now. He's calling you in the service. But more than that, there's going to be a change in the service, in the way that we come to church, because we're going to come ready to prophesy. We're going to get practical. Matthew, we're going to talk, and we're going to get prophesying in every service, because you are the Lord's prophet. You are the Lord's mouthpiece. Did you know that? All right? But now, I want to focus on something very specific there, and, and it's, it's, it's the calling. Yes, Jesus has a calling, but I want to focus on the collective calling that happened there, right? It was, it was not just one of the elders that the Holy Spirit came on, but all the elders together. And I believe that's the heart of God. Um, you know, the New Testament says, said we, we are, a, um, we are a, a whole people of prophets, right? We are not just, they're not just individuals that's in the Old Testament, but all of us can be the Lord's prophets, right? And by prophets, we're not talking about um, the fivefold Ephesians chapter 4 calling. We're talking about being God's mouthpiece, speaking on his behalf. And so I want to talk about um, calling and the collective. I mean, I call it the community and calling, and I call it the acts effect. You can understand what the acts effect is in a moment. (coughs) Excuse me. Calling is not devoid of people right? God calls us in a collective. So sometimes we think my calling is my calling. No, it's not my calling. It's his calling. He calls you to his purpose, and it's always in the context of a community. God um, wants to believe you, and if you ever come to a place where you can believe that I can use the people around me to get to where God wants me, then you're completely deceived, right? We don't use people to get to where God wants us. The destination never justifies the means, right? The goal actually is relationship. 
Did you know that? The end goal is relationship. So God would never call you to destroy relationships to get some, to some sort of a goal that he wants, right? God doesn't do that. In fact, the end goal is relationships. What are you taking to heaven one day? Relationships. Shake someone next to you and say, say I'm taking you, right? I'm taking you to heaven. I'm taking you with me. The other thing that is important for us to understand, it's not like, it's not like I have my calling life and then I have my social life, right? It's not I've got this life that God has called me to and then I've got my social life and people that I relate with. No, they, they won. Um, there's a togetherness of life together and calling together. And that is what we see in the book of Acts. We're going to see the Acts effect in a moment. But I want to, I want to read from, um, from a, uh, I want to quote um, Barry J.D. and um, a, a book called uh, Connecting the Testaments. The New Testament, the Old Testament. Really powerful words, these. But it talks about our culture today, and it talks about God's calling. But I want you to notice what the writer says here. Most of the Western world operates in the spirit of individualism. We need to know our context. We need to know um, where we're at and to contextualize the gospel. So we live in a place where uh, or world that operates on a spirit of individualism. Christianity does not, though we often attempt to adapt it and make it more comfortable. It is much easier to think about God's role in my life than to reflect on my role in God's plan to help others and share the gospel. When we attempt to shape our faith to fit our needs, we are bound to run into scripture that makes us squirm or uncomfortable. Some people um, perform interpretive backflips. I like the way he says that. Interpretive backflips to wriggle out of passages such as Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. For instance, verse 44 says, And all who believed were in the same place and had everything in common. A fear of socialism serves as a convenient excuse to sidestep this verse, but it doesn't speak to socialism. It speaks to voluntarily joining a movement of people who care more about the betterment of the group than they do about the individual gain. Right? Contemporary modern Christianity says, no, it's more about the individual gain. You know, but no, it's not. It's more about the collective gain. Um, the truth is that God's word should make us uncomfortable because we are the ones that need to conform. None of us want to accept Acts chapter 2 verse 44 unless the Spirit has worked within us. Acting out of faith means we, we must be willing to donate what we have to help others, time, material goods, money, whatever God calls us to give. Self-sacrifice is, is not any easy for anyone, but it becomes easier when the Spirit prompts our hearts to see the needs of others as more important than our ones. Most people in the Western world choose the sin of selfishness over selfless, selfless service to others, and so on. Now, I want to just emphasize something there, socialism. Um, you know, he mentions that some, some might be hesitant to look at the scripture because when they look at that scripture, they see socialism, right? Now, what is, what is socialism? What is communism, Marxism? I think, you know, it's a topic, topic that is often 
comes up of, often is, is discussed, um, but the gospel is not socialism. The gospel is not communism. What is communism? Communism is there's basically two groups, right? There's uh, the border, bur, how do you say that again? Someone help me. Bur, bourgeoisie, that's it. Is that right? Bourgeoisie. Bourgeoisie. Thanks, Nyasha. Thanks for that. And the proletariate, right? So there's, there's two groups of people. There's the, there's the working class, and then there's um, the, the rich, the empowered, those who have the ability. So, so this is a topic that often comes in, and we need to understand this because, again, this is our context. We need to um, contextualize the gospel. We need to bring the gospel into our culture. Now, the gospel is not socialism because socialism says there's two groups and there's inequality, and the two groups need to reconcile, right? And so there's, there's this, this um, thing that needs to happen. So one group needs to look at the other group, and the other group needs to give in. Now, the gospel is completely different. I want you to see this. The gospel is when we all come to Jesus and we give to him, all right? Giving to Jesus, that's worship, all right? So not, our eyes are not on a specific group of people. Our eyes are on Jesus because he gives freely, right? And so we must freely give him. And so Acts chapter 2, and so we shouldn't run away from Acts chapter 2. We should embrace Acts chapter 2, not as a statement of legalism or a statement of right, but a statement of us coming to God and giving to him, all of us, no matter where you are at, no matter what your race is, no matter, matter what your economic status is, we all have something to give to God. And, and that, is, that is what we embrace. So in, in Isaiah chapter 6, and I've been talking about this often, um, the prophet Isaiah has this encounter with Jesus. He sees Jesus high and lifted up, right? He has this moment where, where God comes to cleanse him, right? The, the, the angel comes with, with a coal of fire and he, and, he, and he cleanses him. And he was a prophet. So it's, it's, not, it's not coincidental that the angel would touch his mouth because the, his mouth represents what he has to give, what the prophet has to give. So God comes and he cleanses and sanctifies what the prophet has. He wants to do that with all of us, right? He wants us to come to him as his eye, to see him high lifted up. And as we come to him, he will do a work in us to sanctify the gifts that he has given us, right? But now in the New Testament, he doesn't want to just do it for individuals. All of us, we're a nation of, of prophets standing before the Lord high and lifted up. He wants to touch our mouths that which represents the gifting and the calling that God has given you, he wants to purify it, uh, redeem it, and use it for his glory. Do you see the difference? Do you see the book of Acts where people were moved and they chose to give voluntarily, right? Because they were so changed by the gospel, right? The gospel always changes us, right? If I love what Angus Bucket says. He says, says if, 
If there was no change, there was no Jesus. If Jesus stepped into your life, your life would change. Otherwise, it's not Jesus. So that's the Jesus that we serve. And so my question to you is, do you really believe God's word? Do you really believe that God's word is the answer to the challenges of our lives? Do you believe the gospel and the, the God's word is the only solution to the world's problems? Do you believe that the gospel is the only solution to South Africa's problems? It is the only solution because God is the author of this life. He's the one that comes to bring life. And so I want to challenge us tonight. His word is the answer. There's no other answer. Right? And I think sometimes we as Christians, we walk around, we say, we, we're like, okay, but yes, yes, it's good and well. The word is important, but there's no but. There's no but in the kingdom of God. Right? There's only his word. God doesn't give his word and change his mind. He says, no, it's the other way around. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will remain. There's a reason why I bring in the topics of socialism and Marxism and communism and all the isms, capitalism, all the isms, because they're all ideas of man. Whereas we believe in the word of God. God's word is eternal. Everything else is going gonna, gonna to come to nothing, but God's word will remain. Right, so you want to align yourself with God's word because if, if, if his word is in you, you'll remain because it's in you. You get the point. So, God wants us to come to the altar and to bring all of ourselves that he would cleanse and sanctify us. And then he commissions us again for a purpose. Acts chapter 2, now let's read verse 40. And with many other words... He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Do you think that when Peter was speaking those words, that was a perverse generation and, and our generation is not? Some people are, are laughing. Because we know that we live in a, <clears throat> in a nation, in a world, with culture that is perverse. Just need to read a bit of news to realize there's so much perversion that's happening. That word is probably more true now than it was back then, right? We're living in a perverse generation. Our culture is mixed up, messed up. The world is messed up, right? The world has gone crazy. I'm not going to give you examples. You can go and just read the news and find out for yourself. It really has gone crazy. And he says, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized as a sign of what had changed internally. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and they had all things in common, and sold their possession and goods, and divided them among all as everyone had need. I'm going to focus on that. And then fear came upon every soul, 
And many wonders and signs were done through the apostle. Who wants to see wonders and signs? Come on, hands are sore. Wondering where you're at. We all want to see signs and wonders. We want to see God's power. Now, uh, Rand Bonker says, if you um, want to get the results that the apostles got, you need to do what they did. Right? And they just, they just took God at his word. They just took God at, at, at what he said, and they lived it. They lived it. They went out. They laid hands on the sick. The sick recovered. They raised the dead. Um, they cleansed the lepers. They met every need that society had in that day. Our needs are different today. There's no, no more, um, not a lot of leprous people, maybe if you go into India. But there are other needs that need to be met today that is as real. People need to receive um, the love of God. But I want to focus there. Sorry, I'm going to read this 46 thing. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate food with gladness and simplicity of heart. You see the community there. You see that they were living their callings together. They were together in doing God's purposes. For, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those that are being saved. Now, I want to say before revival comes, there's a humility and a brokenness that God allows to be worked in in our hearts. So if you look at the, the first, uh, first disciples, the 12 disciples, they went through a real tough time. If you're going through a tough time, take courage. Sometimes God, sometimes God allows tough times so that you and I know our brokenness. And we know how we need Jesus. Peter, these guys went through a tough time because they forsook Jesus. They ran away in his time of most need. They scattered. The Bible says, strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. And so that's exactly what happened with the 12 disciples that followed Jesus. They were, their relationships were broken down, Right? That everyone fought for themselves. That individual thing happened. And so, you know, when, when Jesus was raised from, the, they were ashamed. They literally were ashamed. They were broken and they realized their brokenness. Even though they were the people that for three years spent the most time with this amazing Jesus, the Messiah, that did miracles, they really, really, really messed up. And, and so many times we find ourselves there, and then there's the opportunity of the upper room to come together as broken people. And, 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 and please note, Jesus didn't come in an amazing way before they got to the upper room. When he was raised from the dead, he appeared to the 12 a couple of times, and then he appeared to others. He didn't do amazing things to them. He just restored them. Remember that scene with Peter? Jesus spoke to Peter, and he, and he said, you know, do you love me? And Peter broke down. That, that's the state of his heart at that moment. He was so broken, so hurt, right? And Jesus restored him. And, and, and so they had to choose. So they were scattered, and they had to choose to come together. Before there were any sparks, before there were any signs and wonders and miracles, they had to get into a room, in the upper room, a little small room, that was probably very uncomfortable. They prayed together. And they had amazing 
times of, of hearts connecting, restoring. The opposite happened. Jesus called them back to from that place of being scattered to be gathered. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And I believe he's doing right now. He's gathering us. He's gathering, gathering hearts together for his purpose, for his moment when the Holy Spirit is poured out. Right? And, the, and then God sends us for his purpose. But then it's completely different. Right? Then it's completely different because we, we, we in the grace of God, there's a community. There's a calling and a collective and a um, cooperation in what God wants. But I want to focus on that one thing, the fear of God. And, and, and there's something that happened because God always works in multiplication. Did you know that? Jesus sat the multitudes down. There was this big crisis, this big need. People are hungry. And he took the bread and the fish. And what did he do with the bread and the fish? He did a miracle. It was impossible, but Jesus made it possible. Jesus always... You know, Jesus' expertise is the impossible, right? He's not, he's not intimidated by the impossibilities in your life. Did you know that? He's able to do the impossible. And so he works in multiplication. He takes the bread and the fish and he multiplies them enough for all the multitudes, for the 5,000 and there's leftovers, right? Jesus works in abundance. He gives us more than enough. More than what we can handle. And so, so um, you know, he, he, he works in multiplication. And so, again, back to the, the upper room, the disciples coming together. There's something that he had worked in the hearts of those people. For three years, he molded and he moved and he did something special in them that he could multiply. He couldn't, he couldn't multiply. And, and we read there specifically, it says 3,000. Now, do that math right from 144 to 3000 that's quite a bit of multiplication happening there right um but he couldn't it's not just that he multiplied in numbers but there was something special in that upper room that god could take and multiply to thousands and eventually thousands upon thousands eventually the whole of asia right were changed by a little bit of something that God did in a little group of people. It wasn't a little bit of something. It was a massive something in a small group. So never limit God in terms of numbers, right? God can do amazing things at the right time, you know, when he's decided this is what I want to multiply into the world, all right? But first, we need to submit to what he, he wants to do in and through us. So I want to I I venture to say that that fear of God was already in the hearts of the disciples when it was multiplied in that Acts chapter um, 2 verse 42. There was already something of a respect, the fear of the Lord. It's a difficult concept for us. It's something we struggle to relate with because there's nothing like that in our culture. The fear of God. Why would you want to fear God? The whole, the, the concept itself is foreign to us, Right? And it's not just a respect, it's more than a respect. It's an awe for who God was. I love what Conor Backer says. He says, you know, when you look at the biblical accounts of people standing before Jesus, remember um, Jesus was around for eternity. He, just, he didn't just pitch up on the scene 
2,000 years ago when he was born into this world. He was, he was around all the time. So we see several occasions where he appeared to people in the Old Testament, and most of those occasions were dramatic. Um, not because the writers wrote it dramatic, because it was dramatic. It was fearful, right? And so when those people saw Jesus, think of Joshua. Before he goes to Jericho, he meets this, the, the command of the Lord's armies, which is another description for Jesus. He meets Jesus, but it's not like he says to, him, says to himself, listen, look at Jesus and respect Jesus, right? S- you know, stir yourself up to give him the due respect that he needs, right? Do you think that happened? No. It says that he, he fell flat on his face. And for fear, he worshipped Jesus. Because seeing the real Jesus is a fearful situation, right? Because he's, he's glorious. He's amazing because he calls us to be with him. But read uh, the book of Revelations where it says that fire comes from his eyes. Um, go and read. He's, he's, his word is faithful and true. He's on a, a rider on a white horse. And Jesus is glorious. He's not a dead man on a cross like we would sometimes think. But Jesus is glorious. And so when you're going to see Jesus, you will fall flat on your face, not because it's a good thing or nice thing to do. You're not even going to think about it. It's going to be the natural response. That is the fear of God, right? And I love if we look at at, at Moses and the people um, at the Mount Sinai. God was amazing in his glory. Moses feared God and he climbed up the mountain. The people were afraid of God, and they stayed down the mountain, right? It's, it's the fear of God that compels us towards Him. Being afraid of God is something different, right? Those are two different things. You really understand who God is, you just run to Him. It's again that sin thing. Whenever you find sin in your heart, don't run away from Him. Run towards Him. It's the fear of God that, that compels us towards Him. And so... God had done something in the hearts of the believers that he could multiply. I want to focus on something, an, an aspect of the fear of God. And this is, this, is, this is the gel between us, right? This is something that is really important. It's, it's, not, it's not all of it. It's just an aspect of what is necessary and what I believe God wants to bring um, in between us. Because the fear of God brings a respect towards one another, right? We respect each other and what God has placed in each other. And this is a virtue. This is something, again, that's quite foreign to our culture. Um, respect is, is not something celebrated um, that much. And so I want to spend some time just quickly because I believe this is what, what God needs to do in us, that we, again, choose to respect one another because we love him, because we respect him. So we can look at each other and realize, listen, this is an image bearer of God. I better speak to them with respect, right? Our culture, again, the culture around us doesn't embrace respect, right? In fact, the more disrespectful you can be, the more accepted you are, the cooler you are. You know, the more you can you know, um, fight against things, the better, right? Whereas God's called us 
to fight for. God has never called us. If you find yourself fighting against, you're in the wrong boat. God always fights for. He fights for people because he loves people. He always wants to motivate us by love, never by destruction or hate or any of those things. Right, so let's talk about respect. I want to just keep, give you just a couple of things just to work on. You know, God, I believe God has called you to do amazing things. But he needs to, to cut into your heart to shape you because he loves you so much. The Bible says, in, again in the book of Acts, it says that when they heard the word, they were cut to the heart. You know, when you read God's word, sometimes you feel, wow, that hurts. But it's a good hurt. Who, know, who knows what I'm talking about? Right? We need to engage with the word. Because the word cuts to a heart, to the core. But it's, it's so good for us. Like that writer says, um, it's a right that we're uncomfortable with the word. That's the way it should be. Because we are supposed to conform to the world. The word. Sorry, not the world. Not the world. <laughs> but God's word. We're supposed to conform to his word. And that means we, until Jesus comes back, then we'll be perfected. Then we will have, you know, then things will be different. Until then, you and I are going to have this uncomfortable relationship with the word. Because we're going to realize, listen, I'm not there yet. But it's okay. Jesus will take you here. But, but get, it's a good thing that God works in us. And so I love what Matthew says. I have to tell you the truth because I love you. That's what J Jesus does. Right? Three years, he spends time with his disciples. And he says the hard things. He loves them. He gives them. The, there's different ways Jesus operates with us. He, he gives us his love. And then he gives us his love with truth. Right? Because he loves us. And so I want you to embrace his word and allow his, God's word to cut into your heart so that you would change. So four, there's four aspects. <coughs> there's four aspects of respect. If you look at any um, definition of, of, um, of respect, there's four aspects. And actually, I'm going to look at the negative. Um, the negative of respect are the following things things and we um, I'm, I'm using these four because these are four um, words that the Bible uses to um, talk about the opposite of respect so the four words are contempt disrespect despise and the fourth one is to scorn I'm going to take you through a lot of scriptures so I want you to to open up your your heart and your spirit to to receive God's word um, we need to get more of God's word in. It's his word that sustains us. It's his word that nurtures us. Jesus says in his most physically needy and, and desperate time, he says when he was fasting 40 days, he's fasted 40 days, no food, no water before, not many of us. Jesus, in that moment, he says, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. That's how strong he feels about his word. So his word is necessary um, to nurture us, to strengthen us. We cannot actually survive, uh, spiritually speaking, and then eventually naturally without his word nurturing us. So allow his word to nurture you. Contempt. 
Proverbs chapter 18 is 3. <coughs> Firstly, the, the, the contempt means the feeling that a person or a thing, uh, a, the feeling that a person or a thing is worthless or beneath consideration. Again, this is the opposite of respect, right? So looking down at someone or something. Proverbs 18 verse 3 says the following about such um, a, an attitude or such a feeling. It says in verse 3, when wickedness comes, contempt, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not really realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Proverbs 17 verse 5 again says, Whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. So what we see here in scripture, contempt, looking down at someone as lesser than you, regardless of race or culture or background, if, if, if we do that, the scripture says we do it do it actually not against the person only but against our maker isn't that a, a scary actually right we we this is actually one of the contributions that um, christianity has brought to the world um, because the idea of concept of equality and equalness whether it's it's um, a gender equality or race equality or or um, children um, the gospel is responsible for that because you can only have total respect for another person, someone that's different from you, if you realize that they've been made by the same one that made you. Then you have ultimate respect for people around you. And uh, otherwise, you don't have a basis for having true respect, dignity of life. All right? So you might find people that are not Christians that do respect others, but they don't actually have um, a base for which to do that from. We as believers, we need to set the example of loving one another and respecting every, every person that God has made because he's made, made us. Secondly, the, se the sec second negative of um, respect is disrespect, quite obvious. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 19, and I'm using the biblical words um, of the opposite here. Verse 19, in, in their uh, ungodly disrespect for God, they bring destruction on their own lives, right? Disrespecting God. Now, you can disrespect God without you knowing it. You're just not mindful of Him. You're not considerate from Him. In fact, all sin comes from this place where we're not mindful of God. Because if we were mindful of God, we wouldn't have done it, right? But it, it's an it's a ungodly disrespect for God. They bring destruction. So the Bible says sin leads to destruction, right? You're going to end up in a bad place where you do things contrary to God by, by not considering. Jesus is always in the room. Did you know that? But you can live like he's not in the room. But he, he is there, right? And you can, you can sort of not be honest to yourself, actually. But he is in the room. But, but um, 
we need to respect God in every situation, every encounter. Exodus chapter 22 verse 28. Never show disrespect for God or curse the leader of your people. Proverbs 30 verse 17 says, The eye that makes fun of a father and hates um, to obey a mother will be plucked out by ravens in the valley and eaten by young vultures. Scary scripture, eh? It's actually biblical. And again, our culture doesn't enforce this, but it's so biblical. Some cultures do, which is really a godly part of that culture, to respect and honor fathers and mothers, right? And, and, and elders, it's, it's really important. Again, it's, it's an aspect of worship to God. It's a saying, it's a recognition of, of God who has given us our parents and our mothers. Then the third negative of respect is despise. It, it's defined as, it's, it's, it's a very extreme word, but it's like an intense disgust, despise. Second Samuel verse 12, verse 9 to 13 says, Why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife um, to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Amorites. I'm now there for the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. God there speaks, and uh, through his prophet Samuel, he speaks great judgment on David. But he's actually talking about David. David was the guy that God really loved, but he messed up terribly. And the reason why God was so upset and he spoke such severe words over him was because David disrespected God by acting like God wasn't in the room. He slept with a woman and then he killed the husband of the woman. Terrible sin. It's actually amazing that God forgave David and God really did forgive him. Again, God is the God of the second chance. If he could do it for David, you know, how much more can he do it for us? But then you must see how David responded. He responded in a significant, um, repentant way, uh, humbling himself bef before God. But the point there is David acted like God um, wasn't there, and that was very disrespectful. And he, his sin wasn't directly to God, but it was in the way that he acted towards his, his, his brother um, and the wife of his brother then. So firstly... Um, most of our interhuman interactions are actually directed to God. Did you realize that? God actually sits and he looks at our interactions. Th have, you, have you come across that scripture where Jesus says, um, you know, he will come to those in the end days and say, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. You, um, you gave me something to drink. Um, you clothed me. You did something well. Then the servant says, but, but, but Master, we didn't do that for you. But he said, but if you, if you did that, for any of these, it's as good as you have done it to me. Isn't that amazing? So God actually measures, measures our respect towards him by our interactions with one another. So if we speak behind each other's backs, it's actually disrespecting God. right? If we speak in a negative way towards another person or another people group, it's, it's actually disrespecting um, God. God really needs to 
change something in us. Then um, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20, and I'm almost done for tonight. It says, do not despise prophecy. Speaking a lot about prophecy. Why, why does God not want us to despise prophecy? Because it's his voice. Right? God feels very strong if we despise or do not respect his voice. He says, do not despise prophecy. Um, um, the third thing about the spies, uh, we see in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So it's talking here about despising a God-given call. So Paul says to Timothy, don't let people despise you. Don't let them neglect or look down on the call or disrespect the God-given call on your life. And then the last one, Proverbs 14, verse 21. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Then you see that measurement of how we um, respect our neighbors and how God responds when we do this. The final one, uh, negative of, of respect, is scorn. Proverbs 3, verse 34, and I'm almost done. With those who scorn, he is scornful. But those who are humble, he gives favor. Luke 8, 53. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. There was a woman that was dead, and Jesus said, but she can live. She's only asleep, and he raised her from the dead. But they scorned him before that, right? There was a, a, a very um, di uh, disrespectful, disrespectful way that they treated um, Jesus even. Um, Psalm 119, verse 22 says, Let them mock and scorn me um, for obeying you. For even if the princes and my leaders choose to criticize me, I will continue to serve you and walk in your plans for my life. Your commandments are my counselors. Your word is my light and my delight. So it says, remove scorn and disrespect from me. And this is the word I want to finish off with tonight. There's a place where we come again like Isaiah. We see the Lord and when we bring ourselves, our hearts before God, He comes with the color of fire and He cleanses us and sanctifies us. And, and, and like the psalmist here says in Psalm 119, He says, remove in me, remove in me scorn and disrespect. So we're going to actually pray that prayer and we're going to do it right now. And you can say, God, remove that in my heart and give me a respect for you and respect for my neighbor, for the person that is next to me, in my church, in my community, that I will not just love, but I would respect people next to me. Because respect is, a, is another expression of love. You cannot really love someone if you don't respect them. You cannot say, I really love my parents, but you don't respect them. Because respect is an expression of love, right? Jesus even says, says the following. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. What is he saying? He's saying, your love is measured by your respect for me, right? Um, I am the king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. And so, therefore, we should respect him as a king, right? And so, our love is actually measured by the way that we respect him.
So you challenged tonight? I'm challenged. Because this is God's word. And again, we shouldn't change God's word to fit into our lives. We should allow ourselves to be changed so that we can become more like Jesus. Right? Look at Jesus. You see respect. You see him talking to the Father with the utmost respect. Right? He says, I, the only, what, what I only do what I see the Father doing. He humbled himself to the point of death for the sake of his Father, for the sake of us. Let's pray tonight. Ben, you can come up, please. Again, we must, we must teach ourselves, and it doesn't come automatically, but we need to teach ourselves to love the Word of God. God really has given us everything in His Word. And by allowing His Word in our hearts, by allowing His Word to change us, we prepare ourselves to be used by God. Now, God can use you, right? He can use you from the word go. You don't need to go through 10 steps or 10 processes before he can use you. He uses you from day one in a good sense because he loves you and it's, it's such an adventure and so exciting. But the more we choose to allow his word to work in us, the more useful we become. The more God can trust us. I say this often, but, but we speak of so many times about can I trust God the better question to ask is, can God trust me? So let's just allow God to work in our hearts. Again, I say, I really believe there's something significant that He's doing in all of us. But there's eight specific people here. We're not going to finish tonight until God has done very, something very specifically. There's eight people. God is calling you for His purpose, for a greater purpose. He's not just calling you to have a natural existence, to go through the motions, to live in the expectations of your parents or other people. There's a place where we respect God and His call above natural expectations. Again, because he's the father. So I believe he's, he's, he's calling eight specific people here to embrace his to embrace his call on your life. So while every eye is closed, I'm going to ask if you would you would actually stand up. This is, this is for someone, if you know Jesus, but he's calling you to live a life. In fact, you've, you've become a bit, you know, discontent even with life. We're going to pray about God just working in us in, in terms of respect. But firstly, he's specific eight people. The Lord showed me the figure eight, and there's eight significant works and tasks that he's doing right now. But there's this real discontentment in you that you've sort of come to the conclusion that there must be more. There must be something more. 
if that's you, won't you even just stand tonight and say, Jesus, that's me. I'm not satisfied with just the normal. I'm not just satisfied with going through the motions. But I want to answer your call tonight. You've been speaking to me. You might have had dreams. You might have had, had people just suddenly say things over you. But Jesus is, is telling you tonight is the night to answer his call. If that's you, just stand. Just quickly. Father, thank you for these your sons and daughters, these your prophets, these your mouthpieces. Thank you, Father, as they stand and they embrace your call. They say yes. They say yes to you, Jesus. They say yes to every prophetic word and prophetic declaration over them. They say yes to a different life. A life in you, a life of discomfort, but a life of glory. A life embracing difficulties, but so much joy. A life of the anointing of God that breaks the yoke. Thank you, God, that right now as they say, yes, Jesus, As they say, as your prophet Isaiah said, send me, Lord. That they go. But they go with the empowerment of God. And go not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. As your spirit is calling them right now. They will continue in your spirit. As they walk, your Holy Spirit will come from behind and say, go in this way, go in that way. And lead them specifically. Thank you for your, your divine direction, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your specific call, sending them where they ought to be. Won't we, let me just actually lay our hands on these people where you're sitting Let's just stand around them and actually pray for them. And tonight we're all going to prophesy. We're going to all be the Lord's prophets. And I want you to speak of these people. This is a real holy moment. This is a real Moses moment. In that these people are called for a specific purpose, but this, this one is not once off. This is a life calling embracing something for life. So let's just pray over these people, speak over these people, and prophesy over them what God has called them to do. Let's find someone to pray for them.